all are welcome to stay. But if you're a member, we hope that you can uh, be here so we have enough people for a quorum and, and have a, an official meeting. There is no Sunday school this morning so that our Sunday school teachers may attend the meeting. Child care will be available in the ministry center. There is no confirmation class this morning, but confirmands, you are asked, required to stay for the annual meeting, please. The annual report is available at the entrances and at the info center. <clears throat> if you didn't grab one in, coming on your, on your way in, there will be time to get one between our worship service and when our annual meeting starts, as we have that transition time. The flowers on the altar are from the funeral of Terry Houston, who now rests with his father in heaven. We will now have our greeting time. Hey kids, hey kids here, got a question for you. What is Friday? Come on kids, can you figure out what's Friday? Maybe I'll give you a hint. February 2nd. I hear it? I heard it back here. Groundhog's Day. Right, right. One of the most anticipated days of the year, I think, right? Who here is hoping for an early spring just around the corner? Yeah, okay. Well, once again, welcome to First Church, whether you're here in person, listening on the radio, or watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you chose to worship with us this morning, and we hope that you feel God's love and presence. We will now have our call to worship, so please rise and follow along with me. The call to worship is taken from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear Him. And now we'll have the vocal choir and the praise team as they lead us in worshiping our Lord.
and gracious in all his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you, and you give them their food at proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near all who call out to him and who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. Will you please rise and praise and worship our living God?
you're asking us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We give you all praise, glory, and honor. May the lips that we use to praise you, Lord God, bring you all glory. come humbly to you today to glorify you, to worship you, and to praise you. Your praise will forever be on our lips. Thank you for being sovereign, and thank you for your omnipotence, your omnipresence, and your omniscience, Lord. We pray for your spirit to be present and continue to guide us through this worship service. Thank you for providing First Church with the resources required to spread the gospel message and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We pray for our pastors and the leaders of this church. Give them your wisdom to make wise decisions and move First Church in the direction you want us to go. Help us be reminded that we are to trust you, lean on your understanding, and acknowledge you in all that we do. Father Walser reminded that our lives are not about serving our own interests and desires, but rather they're about serving others, and most importantly, serving you. And when we put you and others ahead of ourselves, you promise to bless us. You will bless us in ways that we can't even imagine. So, Lord, we pray that each that you etch this promise into our hearts. Help us be like Jesus, who perfectly displayed this servanthood character. Lord, we also pray at this time for our brothers and sisters who are struggling. There are folks in this church, our community, surrounding communities, and throughout this world that need your healing and strengthening. Whether it's health issues, financial issues, spiritual issues, or whatever they may be, 
Lord, we ask you to lift them up and provide the healing and strengthening that only you can provide. Father, we lean on your promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Father God, we also take this opportunity to lift up our state, our nation, and the world to you. We all see and hear the evil that is permeating our society. It's so easy to see that the God of this age, Satan, is alive and active and has blinded the eyes and minds of many unbelievers. So, Lord, help us be reminded daily to put on the armor of God to protect us and others from the evils of this world. Father, we also thank you for your word and the truth of your word. May your spirit continue to guide us in revealing your truth, not only in our own lives, but also in the lives of others around us. Your word tells us to be the salt of the earth and the light to the world. Help us conduct our lives in a righteous way and give us the boldness and confidence to speak the truth of your word to others. And Lord, we're most thankful for the sacrifice that you made in sending your son to the cross to shed his blood as a sacrifice for all of our sins. Thank you for his atoning death, his resurrection, and the free gift of eternal life that you offer each and every one of us. Help us as Christians continue to spread the truth and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in his glorious and gracious name as we join together in the prayer he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I'll invite the kids forward for children's chat. Good morning. How's it going? Oh, I hear the stampede. They're coming. How's it going, guys? Did you guys have a couple two- and three-hour delays this week? That was a nice to sleep in. Yeah. You didn't. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's all right. Sometimes it's good just to keep your routine, right? So I have a question for you. Have any of you seen a movie or maybe read a story about someone that put a message in a bottle and then put it into like the ocean or some body of water and then it got to someone else? You have? Yeah. So this week as I was preparing for this, I came across a story about a guy and his name was Harold Myers and he went on this cruise to the Caribbean and while on this ship, he took three bottles with him. And in those bottles, he put a dollar, and he put his address. And he wanted to see if he put those in the ocean, if they would actually make it to someone. And they did. Two people wrote him back and said that they had received the message in the bottle. The other one, they don't know what happened to. But all of his friends thought that was so silly that he was just throwing money into the water. But those bottles did make it back to him. So... I was wondering, do you think it might be a good idea for us to spread the good news of Jesus by putting a message in a bottle and putting it in the ocean? You don't think so? What about if we wrote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What if we put that in the bottle? That shows about Jesus' love for us, right? It tells us that he died for us and that, you know, if we, if we put our faith in him, that we will have everlasting life with him. You think we should put that in our bottle? Yeah. No. Why not? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if it's a really good idea for us to do that because what if people don't find those bottles? Right. So, and we don't really live by the ocean, do we? So that would be another. You're going to go on vacation to the Pacific Ocean? Well, then maybe you can drop a bottle in there. But if we're going to tell people about Jesus, 
we should probably just use our words, right? Instead of trying to put a message in a bottle and hope that it gets to someone, we should tell people using our words. And in fact, that's what Jesus wants us to do. And he said, and Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So Jesus said, I want you to go. And I want you to tell people about Jesus. I don't want you to put a message in a bottle and hope that it gets to somewhere, someone. That means he wants us to do it. So I got a question for you. Have you told people about Jesus? Yeah? You have? That's awesome. So this week, I want you to think about one or two people outside of your family. Not your mom and dad, not your brothers and sisters, because a lot of them are up here and a lot of them are out there, right? But I want you to think of a friend or maybe a neighbor that you could tell about Jesus. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You don't have to have all the right words because guess what? The Lord's going to give you the words. If he wants you to tell that person about Jesus, he'll give you everything you need to say. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to obey you and trust that you will show up. And he'll give you the words to say. So this week, I want you to think about who you can tell about Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these kids, Lord. I thank you for their hearts and their willingness to learn about you. Help us to obey the command that you gave us to go and to make disciples and to tell people about you and your love. I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage and the opportunity to tell people about you this week. We love you and we thank you so much for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Tori. You guys can head back to your seats. And as you do that, I'll, well, don't need to invite the praise team to come back up forward. It looks like they're already on their way to do that. Our offering this morning is going to support WBCL Radio, a Christian radio station that many of you I know benefit from and are blessed by the music and the ministry that they offer. So I encourage you to give as you feel led to give this morning, and the uh, offering will go to support the ministry there. Let's pray and thank the Lord for this opportunity to give back to him. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for all the good gifts that you have provided for us in our lives. And Lord, this is an act of worship now. We give back to you out of the abundance that you have given us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would bless this offering to further the work of your kingdom through WBCL Radio and the ministry that they offer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I invite the deacons to come forward to collect our offering. Thank you. 
depend on you. I depend on you. said in John 15 you are the vine and we are the branches thank you that you've grafted us in Lord by the adoption through your son Jesus Christ Father we ask that we stay and abide with you and we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to do all the fruits to do all the work Lord God that we may empty ourselves so that you can continue to fill us more and more of you Lord Teach us how to abide in you. for the scripture reading this morning. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, you can find the verse on page 1000. Today's reading is from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. You may be seated. Father God, we thank you that we are able to gather here in this place and worship your name together. You are certainly worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And so as we take time this morning now to open your word together, And to study what it says, I pray that you would give us one heart and one mind for you, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, and help us understand what it means to be united in mission to the world. Lord God, I pray your Holy Spirit would move in this place to open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these in Christ's name. Amen. So as we continue to talk about what it means to be one in Christ, today we're going to be looking at what it means to be one in our mission that God has given us, to go into the world, go into the nations and make disciples. And if you think about it, purpose really does bring a group together. Purpose unifies a team. 
sure many of you have played team sports at some point in your life, going back to when you were a kid, through high school, maybe even college, right? And you know that being on a team, and in fact, I mean, it goes beyond sports, of course, but being on a team, working towards one goal, one purpose, one championship, brings that team together. And whatever differences those players may have individually, even if they don't necessarily get along well off the court or off the field, they can come together as one team and accomplish the mission or accomplish the purpose. See, purpose does bring groups together. And, and Jesus has given us a clear command, a clear purpose as Christians. In fact, we call this the Great Commission. Most of your Bibles probably have that as the paragraph heading above verse 16. This is the Great Commission, the Great Command that Jesus has given all of us to obey. And if you think about it, all church mission statements, all church vision statements, whatever whatever label you want to put on them, are pretty much a variation of the great commandment, which we've talked about the last couple of weeks, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. All church mission statements, so I should say all good church mission statements, are usually a rewording or a variation of those two things, the great commission and the great commandment. Just to remind you, our mission statement is this. We are a community of faith who engage biblical truth to provide an environment where people can mature as disciples of Christ. You see, it's right there in our mission statement. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's based right here off of this command that Jesus gave his disciples. Now, Jesus here is speaking in this very interesting uh, point in human history. Jesus is speaking to his disciples post-resurrection and pre-ascension. So Jesus has already died and risen from the grave, and and he spends about 40 days or so uh, talking and meeting with his disciples, appearing to many people. And Paul, in fact, reports at one point he appears to a group of 500 people all at once. And so there's this period of time where Jesus is giving these kind of final instructions to his disciples about what he is calling them to do when he goes to be with the Father. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 1, essentially the next chapter after Matthew 28, we see Jesus does, in fact, do that, ascend to be with the Father and sit at his right hand. And so Jesus has given us, his church, his people, a mission to carry out. Jesus says, I'm, I'm heading back to heaven. I'm heading back to the Father. And you are going to keep on doing the mission that I started. You're going to continue to spread the gospel. You're going to go out and make disciples of all nations. That is the mission that he's called us all to be on. See, that's the big idea I want you to take away from our time here together this morning. Every Christian, and I'll emphasize that again, every Christian is called to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. So let's look at that, why that's so important, and how we can live that out together as a church family. So first of all, it's important because discipleship is mandatory because Jesus commanded it. Sometimes we we think that discipleship is just an add-on to what we are called to do as Christians. We think that just giving our life to Jesus is enough, and we're just going to do our best to follow him. And while that is good and important, Jesus is very clear here that we are all called to go and make disciples. It's a, it's a command. It's an imperative. He says, go and do it. And so this is a very clear command, and we must obey because Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth. Right? Remember, like I just said, this is post-resurrection. Jesus is the risen Savior, the risen Lord here at this point. There's no doubt anymore about who he is. Right? There, people might have had some doubts about who he was during his earthly ministry. They might have heard his teaching and maybe even witnessed some of his miracles and thought, eh, I'm not so sure about this guy. But Jesus here is, this is post-resurrection Jesus. This is him standing there with scars in his hand and in his side, risen into glory. And he's the one that's commanding the church to go and make disciples. He has the authority to do that. And so if you think about it, if we avoid making disciples, if we choose not to do that, we are in direct disobedience to Christ and his command. If we choose not to make disciples, if we don't make that a priority, then we are disobeying Christ in a very clear 
way. He has commanded us to do it. If you think about it, this call to make disciples, it mirrors that original creation mandate all the way back in Genesis 1. Now follow with me here for just a second. In Genesis 1, when God created man and women in his image, he said to be fruitful, go and multiply and fill the earth. Right? The command in Genesis 1 was to fill the earth with human life, to go and spread and, and, uh, and multiply. Here, Jesus is, is giving us a new creation mandate. Not to be fruitful and multiply, but to go and spread the gospel. To make disciples of all nations. Not to spread human life throughout the earth, but to spread new life throughout the earth. So that people may know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and in doing so, they may have eternal life. That is our mandate. That is what God has called us to do. And as I said before, I wanted to emphasize, this command is for all disciples. Every Christian is called to do it. Now, Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, right? The, the 11, right? the 12 minus Judas, who were, who were there with him on the mountain that day. But by extension, he's speaking through them to all of us who claim to be disciples of Christ, who claim to be his followers, right? This is not just a command for a few special people. It's not just for pastors or missionaries or Sunday school teachers, although they do have an important role to play in this process. This command is for all disciples of Christ. So that leads us to our next point. Discipleship is for everyone. So all Christians are called to be disciples, and all Christians are called to be disciple makers as well. If you have Bibles with you this morning, or you want to follow along in your pew Bible, I encourage you to flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, later on in the New Testament. Again, that's 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. This is Paul writing to Timothy, a young fellow pastor, someone who went on these missionary journeys with Paul, and who is now pastoring, essentially pastoring a church in Ephesus, Paul is writing this letter to him to encourage him in the ministry. And this is what Paul says to him in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now there's a discipleship chain that is being made here, right? And there's four links to it in that one verse. Paul is saying, take what you've heard from me. So you got Paul teaching Timothy. And he's encouraging Timothy to then pass it on to other people, faithful people, who can then teach others. See, there's four links to the chain here. That's what God is calling us to. That's how he spreads his kingdom in this world. He could have chosen any means necessary, but he chooses to work through people like you and me to spread the gospel. There's a chain there of discipleship. Paul to Timothy to faithful people who can then teach others. And you're part of that chain, right? You're somewhere on that link. You should have people in your life that you're looking up to, that you can learn from, that can disciple you. But then you should also be looking to pass on that discipleship, that knowledge, that information, and the way of life to other people. What happens with the chain when one of the links is removed? It doesn't work anymore, right? It falls apart. If there's a chain of discipleship and you're part, if you're one link in that chain and you remove yourself from that link or from that chain, the whole process falls apart. See, that's why every Christian is called to be a disciple maker because we're all part of that chain that God has ordained, that God has, has, has made possible so that we can spread the good news of Jesus to everyone. So discipleship is everyone in the sense that we're all called to be disciples and disciple makers. But it's also for everyone in the sense that, that our target is the whole world. Jesus says to go into all nations and make disciples. That word nations isn't, isn't geographical boundaries, political boundaries like we think of it today. That word uh, is, is the word that we get ethnicity or ethnic groups from. Paul is saying go to all people groups. Go to all peoples and make disciples. So everyone is our target. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again, Jesus reiterates this command to his disciples right before the ascension. Again, that's Acts 1, verse 8. He says, 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So think about this like a, a, like a target, some concentric circles. We have a, a responsibility to make disciples locally, regionally, and globally. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We often think of, of, of evangelism or discipleship as, as mission work, right? You have to pack up your stuff and move to Africa or Asia or the Middle East in order to uh, make disciples. And that work is certainly important. We support several missionaries that are doing just that in the world today, right? They are going out and making disciples. And we can and should support that. It's such important work. But we must remember that we don't have to go halfway around the world to find people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We have disciples. We we need to be making disciples in our very own backyard. Now, my numbers, I'm going to use some round numbers here, so don't quote me as exact here, but the population of New Knoxville is about 900 people, give or take a few, right? Not not a big town. And, And our average attendance this past year was just shy of 200. So let's just round up to 200. Now, we are, there's also, of course, another church here in town. And let's just assume we have, they have just as many people as we do. I don't know what their attendance is, but we'll just, we'll just say that they have 200 people in worship with them as well. So let's do some simple math here. If there's 900 people in New Knoxville, and between our two churches, there's about 400 in average attendance, that means every given week, there's 500 people right here in our own community who aren't part of a church family who aren't worshiping. Now they may go somewhere else and certainly I hope they do, but I just use that simple illustration as an example that we, there are people that need to hear the good news of the gospel right here in New Knoxville, right? Right in our own backyard. We don't have to travel halfway around the world to make disciples. All we have to do is walk across the street. We just have to look at our neighbors, our coworkers, even people in our own homes that need to be discipled. The disciple, the, the, the mission field is all nations, including New Knoxville, Ohio. So discipleship is for everyone. And discipleship is also explicitly Christian. Now this may seem obvious, but I think it's important for us to state here and make disciples of Christ, right? Of Jesus, right? To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them everything that He has commanded them to teach. Or to do. You see, everyone is a disciple of something, whether we realize it or not. And many of us are discipled by things that aren't Christian, right? That aren't biblical. We're discipled by the social media apps on our phone. We're discipled by cable news network. We're discipled by music and TV shows and movies that we consume. We're discipled by a lot of things in this world, whether we realize it or not. And not all of them point to Jesus. Compare your calendars. Compare how much time you spend doing these other things compared to your time in the Word. If you have an iPhone, it does it for you, right? All you have to do is go in settings and look at your screen time, screen time usage. And let me tell you, that can be scary, right? How much time you're spending on different apps or different programs. We're all discipled by something. So we need to make sure that we are discipling people for Christ, that our discipleship is Christ-centered, is biblical. And he says here that we're called to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is that public profession and identification with Christ. It's a statement of faith, right? It's a, it's a decision to follow Christ. And so, yes, every Christian should be baptized in obedience to Christ in that command. We're called to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in a sense, baptism is, is that first step of faith, right? And that commitment to following Christ. Now, I do have to say there's no need to be rebaptized, right? There's no, that is not a necessary thing, um, you know, but, but it is important that, that we do make that public statement of faith in Christ at some point in our life. That is what Christ commands us to do. As I said, it's the entry point into faithful obedience. But let me also say that it is not the end goal. 
Right? He says to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but then he also says to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So if baptism is that first step of faith, then the teaching to obey is that lifelong, continual obedience. Our goal as Christians should not be to just make converts, but to make disciples. So baptism is the entry point into lifelong faithful obedience, but it's not the end of it. It's that first step in that lifelong journey. There's a lot of ministries out there. Sometimes the focus is just on making converts. And think of uh, something like the Billy Graham Crusades, where you have this big event and you invite people forward for an altar call. They pray the prayer and give their life to Christ. That's all good and wonderful, but, but those people need to be discipled into that next step of faithful obedience to Jesus. I firmly believe that if we focus on making disciples, converts will come. People will give their life to Christ. People will see that and want to be a part of it. But if our focus is on just making converts, we're going to miss the opportunity to disciple people into the faith. Both are important. You see, the goal of discipleship is to make us like Jesus. Sometimes we focus our discipleship too much on practical things. We talk about that if we follow Jesus, we'll be better uh, bosses or better employees. We say if we follow Jesus, we'll be better spouses. If we follow Jesus, we'll be nicer people. All of those things are true, but they're not the end goal. Right? If we, our, our, our goal as Christians, the goal of Christian discipleship is not to make better spouses. It's to be more like Jesus. And if we are more like Jesus, then we will be better spouses and better bosses and better employees, better students. But we need to make sure we're focusing on the right thing. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said, Now the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall then be sharing in a life which was begotten, not made, which always existed and always will exist. Christ is the Son of God. If we share in this kind of life, we also share, shall be sons of God. We shall love the Father as He does, and the Holy Ghost will arise in us. We come to this world and become a man, and He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life that He has by what I call a good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming Christian is simply nothing else. I love that. The whole, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing less. We are to be like Jesus in all we do. And yes, the, the, the baptism into, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the first step in that. But then Jesus calls us to then go on and to teach them to obey. So discipleship then is faithful obedience to Christ. He says, he doesn't just say teach them, but he says teach them to obey. See, discipleship is more than just information transfer, right? It's more than being able to pass a theology test. That information is good insofar as we learn to apply it to our hearts and our lives. We need to take what we know about Christ, what we know to be true, and then live it out. That's why obedience is so important. Jesus once told a parable in Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. In Matthew 21, 28 through 32, he, he asks, which, which he, he says, this man has two sons. And the first son, he says, to go and to work in the field. And the first son says, yeah, I'll do it. But then he doesn't go and do anything about it. And likewise, he tells the second son, go and work in the field. And that son tells him, nope, not going to do it. But later on, he changes his mind and goes out and works in the field. And Jesus poses the question, which one of those two was obedient? Which one was faithful? And of course, it's the one who, even though he initially said no, followed through and did what his father asked him to do. See, Christian discipleship is more than just acknowledging things with our mouth, but it's living it out in our attitudes and actions and affections. We must learn to obey what Jesus teaches us. And it also says everything, right? Don't miss that word. Teach them everything that I've taught you. Right? Even, that means even the hard stuff. That means even the things that, that confront us in our, in our sin and the way we do things, right? Scripture will confront us if we let it. Scripture will smooth out the rough edges in our life if we let it. But we need to be willing to obey everything, not just the easy parts. 
Christianity, this whole discipleship process, it's not just a spiritual buffet, right? Where we can pick and choose what we want to have and leave the rest. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. He demands all of us, and in return, He gives us all of Him, right? And that means we must obey Him in everything. The last thing we see here in Jesus' command is that discipleship is empowered through Christ's presence through the Holy Spirit. Jesus makes a promise here. And notice this is such an important thing to, to focus on because Jesus calls us to a pretty high task, doesn't he? Discipleship is not easy. But he doesn't abandon us to do it on our own. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now I said, Jesus is just about to go to heaven to be seated at the right hand of his Father. So the way that Jesus fulfills this promise is by giving us his Holy Spirit. He does not call us to a task and then abandon us to do it on our own. He equips us and empowers us to do what He commands. And He does that through the Holy Spirit. In John's Gospel, Jesus reminds us that the role of the Holy Spirit is to to help us understand and apply God's Word to our lives. He's going to remind us of the things that Jesus taught us. And He's going to lead us into all truth. It's the Holy Times that will prompt us, that will guide us, that will direct us if we let him. Notice how big of a change. If you read through the Gospels and Acts, there's a huge change in the disciples from the Gospels to Acts. In the Gospels, they were scared. They didn't understand. And in Jesus's, the night Jesus was arrested and betrayed, they scattered and ran. But in the book of Acts, they are bold. They proclaim the name of Jesus, even if it means they're arrested, even if it means they're, they lose everything. The difference is, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also the gift of his Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers them to speak truth. It's the Holy Spirit that that helps them to do what they could not do before. Jesus promises to empower and equip us to carry out this command, and he does so through the presence of his Holy Spirit. I have to end with this now. We've talked why discipleship is so important, but we must talk about how this happens, right? And there's two things I want to encourage you with. One is that discipleship is inherently relational. Again, think about the means by which Jesus commands us to live this out in the world. He says, you people go and make disciples, right? This isn't about a a program or an institution or some sort of bureaucracy. This is a personal commitment to make disciples, so discipleship is inherently personal. It's relational. It's, it's people sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. So discipleship flows out of our relationships, whether it's parent and child, whether it's spouses, whether it's Sunday school classes, Bible studies, but all of those things are inherently relational. We learn to follow Jesus by, by learning from others and following their example. So we need to make sure that we are investing in others in in allowing ourselves to be in those sorts of spaces so that we can learn from others and we can share with others what we ourselves have learned. And finally, there's also the ordinary, what what is sometimes referred to as the ordinary means of grace. See, what I'm about to say should not be a surprise to anyone because this is the way that God normally and typically works in the world. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to help others to be more like Jesus? Then spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time worshiping with other people in, the, in corporate worship, in the sacraments. See, they're called ordinary means of grace, not because there's nothing special about them, but because that's the way that God normally and ordinarily works in this world. He has given us His Word. He has given us uh, the ability to pray. And he's given us brothers and sisters in Christ to worship with. And if you want to see your life transformed, if you want to see your life more like Christ, then it's a matter of giving yourself to those things regularly. We sometimes expect God to work in extraordinary ways, and he certainly does. But we also must remember that God does work in the ordinary, regular rhythms of life. And that's the core of discipleship. The key to discipleship is that relational aspect and to give yourselves over to the word, to prayer in the sacraments through corporate worship. Let's pray together.
Father God, I thank you for your word. I do thank you for this call that you place on our lives, and I pray that we as your people would be obedient to you in everything, including this call to make more disciples. Help us and enable us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing our closing song together. If anybody would like to pray, I'll be forward here on this front pew. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Cause I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. So every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn our annual meeting immediately following the service here. There will be a 
few moments of transition. Um, so if you need to grab an annual book uh, by the entryways, there are also a few youth kids that will be in the big room in the ministry center helping with child care. So, uh, this is an opportunity to do that. So I just once again want to encourage members of our, of our church to stick around and be part of that meeting. If you're a visitor or guest with us today, we're so grateful that you were here with us. Um, and we are grateful that you've worshipped with us this morning. So now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.